Well, good morning, friends. I'm so glad you chose to join us once again in worship as Second Baptist Church on this Memorial Day weekend. This is a weekend you know that stokes many of our memories, and of course, that's its purpose. Memorial Day, which for a time was known as Decoration Day, is a day set aside to remember those who lost their life while serving in the military. And it still holds that meaning, of course, but also over time, it's become a time for many of us to remember all of our loved ones, whether by visiting their graves or visiting memorial gardens or special places or simply by visiting our memories. And if you're like me, there are many, many loved ones who you miss and you'd like to see again. But when prompted, the first place my mind often goes is to my grandparents for, for so many reasons. We called them Grandmommy and Daddy Troy. And I've come to realize over time that my missing of them has as much to do not only with who they were and how they were with us, but also with the life they created for us, the life that simply flowed to us from their lives and how they lived. They were simple people, and days with them were filled with simple blessings. I now have one of my grandmother's cast iron skillets, and, and I remember her this way. I get to make pan-fried chicken and french fries and sometimes pan-fried burgers in the same piece of metal she used to cook those things for me and my parents and my siblings and my cousins. And I remember my, my grandmother at this time, of course, hastily telling us to get out of her kitchen, a tradition that my mother and her sisters and now I myself, when I cook, have carried on. And then later after those meals, I remember listening to her listen to others or offer gossip at the kitchen table while we, if we were lucky, uh, got to consume some plate of cookies or brownies or a piece of pie that she had prepared for us. And I also love to fish and I love being out in the country, partly because grassy pastures and farm animals and fishing holes and all things rural never fail to bring forth memories for me of my grandfather. I remember his sly, mischievous sense of humor, his World War II memories, and his start before sunrise and go until sundown work ethic. I remember his and my grandmother's propensity to fall asleep in their lazy boys during the nightly news. And I remember so many other sights and smells and idiosyncrasies that added up to deep, instinctual feelings of love and home. I remember all of this, and as I do, I become highly aware of all the ways I took their presence for granted, and I become even more gratefully eager for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope that tells us that they are with Christ. The hope that tells us that we will one day be fully with Christ. And the hope that tells us that in Christ, we will one day, once again, be together in sweet, sacred reunion, catching up and, and enjoying one another. I with my grandparents and so many other loved ones and you with who? Who is it that you've lost, that you loved and you're now longing not just to see again but to spend time with again? Getting to do this is just one of the supreme hopes of heaven that we get to look forward to in Christ and because of Christ, one that I hope we might all spend some time savoring as we remember our loved ones this weekend, including right now, as our worship continues to be prompted by these beautiful, timeless, 
and challenging words from John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that God gave God's one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send God's Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Thanks be to God for these words of hope and love and grace that I know sometimes I just need to sit with and simply savor. Earlier in this service, we heard our children quote this verse that so many of us who grew up going to church also learned and even committed to memory when we were their age. And we were able to do this, as children of course, for a couple of key reasons. One of them was repetition. Our Sunday school teachers, parents, and pastors called it to our attention and called it to our attention often enough and asked us to consider it frequently enough that its words sank down into our memory banks and eventually into our hearts. And this is something, by the way, that ought to serve as both a celebration and a challenge. We should, we should celebrate today, especially as we're remembering those who have gone before us and the, the way that they loved us, that, that, that women and men took the time in simple and sustained ways to help us hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we're celebrating this, we should be challenged by it. We should be challenged to do the same, something that I fear we're sometimes not as widely committed to do as we should be. There are many things in this life that, of course, are worthy of our time, and you can think of a lot of them. But is there anything more worthy of our time than helping our children know and love our gracious and loving God who, who knows and loves them so deeply? Our memories of those who invested in us should prompt us to invest in others so that they will also reap the benefits that often only come through intentionality and repetition, sustained over time. We learn John 3.16 and its meaning through repetition. And we also learned it because of the aspect of the gospel that it captures so quickly. One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth, you know, was once asked after a long and laborious lecture, and he was tired, to share what he considered to be the greatest of all theological insights. And it was the, it was the perfect question for a man who had written literally tens of thousands of pages of some of the most sophisticated theology ever put into print. The students asked the question and then held their pencils right up against their writing pads, ready to take down verbatim this premier insight from one of the greatest theologians of their time. Bart took a deep breath, he closed his tired eyes, thought for a minute, and then half smiling he opened his eyes and he said to those listening, the greatest theological insight I have ever considered is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And there it is. There it is, and perhaps 
no verse in all of scripture captures that insight for us more than John 3, 16 and 17, which tells us both that and how the God of the universe was willing to endure any and every amount of pain and sacrifice so that we might know the rich and abundant gift of everlasting life with God. And it tells us that God did this out of an unmatched and unrelenting love. And this, this is emphasized here in these verses, by the way, in ways that are not always so obvious through John's always intentionally chosen words. For instance, the word world here in this verse is the Greek word cosmos. It's where we get words like cosmology, the study of the world, or cosmopolitan, a person of the world, or or simply cosmos itself, which we often use not simply to refer to the earth, but to the whole universe, the cosmos. But in John's gospel, cosmos or world was usually used differently. In John's gospel, world was consistently used to describe um, an entity that is completely hostile toward God. Just consider this prayer that Jesus offered just before his crucifixion. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. John 17, 14, and 16. And the point is that John's use of the word world here is meant to shine an incredibly bright light on the nature of God's love. And have you ever experienced hostility from someone else or a group of someone else's? Have you ever experienced sustained hostility from someone else or a group of someone else's? And, and this was going on and no matter what you did to alleviate that, to diffuse that, to work through that, what, whatever that thing was about, they just wouldn't let up. The hostility wouldn't stop. How easy is it for you to love people when they are treating you like that? It's increasingly difficult and at a point almost impossible unless they are your children. Most people, even in the most imperfect of relationships, never stop loving their children. And that might just offer us a glimpse into the heart of God and the motivation for the gospel truths present in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, the God-resistant, God-resenting, even God-hating world. For God so loved the ones who were so often hostile toward God. For God so loved them. For God so loved us that God gave God's very self, God's only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. You know, we've often rightly reminded one another in worship and in Bible studies that the gospel is about more than what happens to us after we die. I've heard people say it like this. In our sharing of the gospel, we have spent an inordinate amount of time simply trying to get people into heaven when the witness of scripture actually teaches us that the gospel is far more about getting heaven into us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is within you, Jesus said, right here and right now. When you pray, pray like this, Jesus said. God's kingdom come, 
God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right here, right now, in this space, in this place. So that we've got a job to do, we know, and an abundant life in Christ is to live and to share in this life that Christ has given us. The gospel is certainly about more than what happens to us after we die. And that's true, and we do well to remember that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about more than what happens to us after we die. But it's not about less. And my friends, we do well to remember that too. The gospel is about more than what happens to us after we die, but not about less. God so loved the world that God gave so very much. God gave God's all to us and for us so that we might give our all to God now and forevermore. And, and that means we all need to think hard about what it means in this me-first world we live in to give our lives fully to God for the sake of loving God and loving others right here, right now. The gospel is about more than what happens to us after we die. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls us into the kind of life where we find our life only by losing it. And when we, we find it, we find out why it's worth everything. Everything we have to give and everything God already gave because it is the life that is truly life, as scripture says. The gospel is supposed to have a profound impact on what we do with this one wild and precious life, as the poet Mary Oliver put it. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has also turned the period of our last breath in this world into merely a comma, separating one moment in our lives from the next. And on this weekend, this weekend when we're prompted to remember the beautiful and imperfect souls from our past, it can be so powerful to also remember that Christ has made a way for sweet, sacred reunion with them and with Him in a beautifully perfected future. We celebrate this powerful promise and so much more as we come together to Christ's table today. As we remember the night that our Lord Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, and He used a meal to picture for us what He was about to do out of His great love for us to conquer the power of death and sin and to bring forth the possibility of the life that is truly life. He did this by taking a piece of bread and breaking it and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, this is the body of Christ for you. And likewise, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. Once he'd poured it out, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for forgiveness of sins. Drink from this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Friends, this is the blood of Christ shed for you and for many. And now, we continue to worship the living and loving Christ together. Amen.